listening to episode 204 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host Wayne as we continue our analysis of season one of Joss Whedon's Dollhouse, starring Eliza Dushku and Miracle Laurie. And how you doing on this warm day before 4th of July? Yeah, doing good. Yeah, Everything's got- okay. Looking forward to some fireworks tomorrow night. Well, you know, I was trying to figure out because, well, obviously, you know where I live and you grew up Mm -hmm. in this area. So for the past two nights, clearly these were professionally done fireworks, but I was trying to figure out, well, how did you decide which night to do the fireworks since the 4th of July falls on a Wednesday this week? I'm sorry, a Tuesday. Yeah. Well, if you were seeing fireworks, they were probably, you know, people went across the border and got some in Pennsylvania because I'm pretty sure... I mean, they've always ever done them only on 4th of July. Wow. Okay. Because, I mean, these lasted a really long time. And, you know, you could really see them above the horizon. And, and mm. I, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're right. I, well, you know, they got that big fireworks trailer down at the mall. So, yeah. Well, so. yeah, the one at the mall, because we are in the great state of Maryland. So it means that you can only buy fireworks that go like a certain amount off the ground. But there's states right to our north and south that have no such qualms. And so I know like around here, the poor dog gets freaked out all the time because people start shooting off fireworks like half a week in advance of July 4th. And so all weekend, every night, uh, people have been letting off like fireworks, like, you know, like professional grade type stuff. Yep. But if you saw the extended show, maybe that, I I don't know if it was Westminster, but it might have been some nearby place, you know. Yeah, I wondered maybe they were doing it on a Saturday because they figured they'd draw people. I don't know. Who knows? So, all right. Well, before we go too far off into our fireworks discussion, I uh, want to remind you, as always, love to hear from you guys. Emails at sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com or at the website where you can leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab. You can record your own audio, send us the MP3 as an attachment, or send us a tweet at Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, and we'd encourage you to consider joining the Facebook group and join the discussions there. All right, so in keeping with what I started last time, which is a look at the current projects of some of the Dollhouse cast, I've got some real big surprises this week, basically because these are shows I don't watch. So let's go ahead and start with uh, Harry Lennox, who, of course, plays Boyd. And I don't watch The Blacklist, which is obviously a a very popular show, but he's a series regular playing a guy named Harold Cooper. Uh, You don't watch it, do you? Nah. Yeah, I I, I don't either. I'm, I'm like you, just don't have time. I've heard a lot of good things. I saw the pilot. Right. I, I like James Spader. So... You know, but he was also like James Spader. I do. Yeah. I I mean, I think he would ever say, well, I think for his generation, he plays one of the best bad guys. You know, one of these people that he's probably not over the top psychotic, but as a low level sociopath, I mean, even back in the Brat Pack days, he was very often playing that sort of a character. Yeah, and, well, and he was the the guy who did, what is it Pretty in Pink? That he was he the oh he was he was the, was he the good guy in Pretty in Pink? I don't remember if he was I think in. He might I mean, been. he probably was in Pretty in Pink, but he was like the guy that uh, Molly Ringwald was was after. But but yeah, after that though, he he is he's kind of 
like he plays like a good like kind of oily character, I guess. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, Harry Lennox was also in 2016's Batman v Superman, which I did not see. I'm sure you did. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to remember what he played. It. I don't think I so, remember. Well, he also is playing Macbeth in Macbeth, the Black Macbeth, which is okay. a modern retelling, and uh, he probably is going to be awesome in that. I don't know he's, that he's I'll a good actor. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that I'll ever see it, but. All right, uh, moving on to Reed Diamond, who we, of course, know played Daniel Whitehall in Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but he's got a recurring role in Designated Survivor as John Forstall and a recurring role in Underground, which is the story of the Underground Railroad during the pre-Civil War era. And that's funny because I was offered a a shot at, at reviewing that for den of geek i looked at it and i mean i didn't actually watch the episode but i, I looked at what the premise was i'm like eh. uh, again i you know that was in the midst of school i got so little time do i really want to review a non-genre show and i'm like right. nah so but i don't know what do kind of character probably, right i now probably you got nothing but time in your hands yeah <laughs> but you know again reed diamond's one of those actors that plays characters not unlike what we were just saying about James sure. Spader and Absolutely. he does it, does it as well as anybody now. Yeah. Third, well, he doesn't necessarily play oily guys. He just plays like a holes, you know, I'm not saying he is one, obviously, but I'm just, he's like really good at playing guys who are just like, just like completely rub people the wrong way. You know? Yeah. And he has a role in Joss's much ado about nothing as well as, as we've said, a lot of the actors in dollhouse, Third is Miracle Laurie, who's appearing in a film called Nobility, which was released June 27th of this year. And the premise here is that it's set 700 years in the future, and we follow a powerful starship with a less than noble crew, which I guess you could argue is about as tropey as they get. I mean, Mm -hmm. you could argue that that was the premise with Firefly, of course. And really, I think what one of the things we all love about Firefly is that it's a bunch of semi-outlaws that, you know, we don't want to do the right thing. We just want to go on our way, but damn it. All right, fine. We'll do the right thing. Right. And then, and then move on. So I don't know if that's the case here. Uh, and then she's in a film called Watch the Sky, which has a 2017 release. We, we don't have an exact date yet. And the description here on IMDb is that in an effort to capture amateur video of outer space, two young brothers unexpectedly find themselves in harm's way when an innocent science experiment becomes a day filled with unearthly events threatening their sleepy coastal town. So if nothing else, it sounds like Miracle Laurie is staying in the genre uh, domain and, uh, you know, both of them sound interesting. Again, now that I have Netflix, maybe nobility will turn up there. Yeah. But because it doesn't sound like it's really going to turn up at like your local Cineplex, right? uh, No, I I don't doubt that either of them will. But again, you know, these days straight to... uh, DVR sure. is not. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's why so many of these movies get get life on on Netflix, right? Right. I mean, I think at one time it was sort of a scarlet letter to to have that straight to VHS back in the day. Uh, not so much anymore, right? But, so, all right. Well, why don't we talk about Dollhouse since that's well, hold obviously. On. 
We can't. Yeah, go ahead. We can't ignore the elephant in the room, or should I say, the first doctor in the room? Okay, go ahead. So, did you see the season finale? Oh, of course I did. Yeah. Okay. So, what'd you think? Well, yeah, I think this season has been uneven. I I knew you were going to say uneven. That was like the word that was in my head too. You know, at best, and there were no episodes that I hated, unlike a lot of the critics and a lot of the the online community, which which they did have a few episodes that they claim they they just really disliked i didn't have any of those and i think in part because peter capaldi is so compelling uh as is can't remember the actress that plays pearl mackie pearl mackie again she's just so dynamic i mean she just takes over the the screen every time she's on it it gets down to the writing Mm -hmm. now that said i like what They've done apparently with Bill at the end, and it's not unlike what they did with Clara. Well, yeah, that's a lot of people are pointing out. It's this non-death death thing that oh, we're gonna kind of kill off the uh, you know the the companion, but then well, not really. She's still gonna be able, and she's also running off with another girl to roam the universe, just like Clara did, right? Sure. So right. there's a bit of. Uh, you know, you get a. I know Stephen Moffat's been at this a while now, and he's been writing Sherlock and Doctor Who. He's been kind of burning the candle at both ends for a while, but you know, you get a feeling that, like, you know, maybe his heart wasn't necessarily quite totally in it for uh, for this season, for sure. Yeah, and and you know, it, it really comes to light. You you mentioned burning the candle at both ends, and and I haven't seen the current season of Sherlock yet. But from things I've heard, it's not as strong no. either. No, not at all. And I guess lesson learned, hopefully, for yeah. Stephen Moffat. <laughs> One project at a time. One project at a time, especially yeah. when they are you know, as visible as these two projects uh, really are. But that said, I, I liked it. You know, I, I like the way they play with his fighting, his regeneration. Mm-hmm. I like what they did with the master. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I mean, I, it never really gets explained. I, I guess we assume because they're so close to the wormhole, that's you know, you know, there was some sort of disruption in time, and that's why we had the two doctors. Uh, I'm sorry, the two masters. Uh, you know, at the same timeline for a while. Right. Well, because the one end time was going. Like super slow, but no, he was at the end of his go really fast. I, I don't know. Well, well he right. had a TARDIS, so, so he could get there anytime, right? Right. So, uh, you know, and then the whole idea of her killing him so he can't regenerate, and I don't know. Yeah. Well, she she just killed him. She knew he was going to regenerate into her, um, but then he killed her, so she right. can't. So that, but. Do we really well, he think- zaps her. He doesn't kill her. He zaps her with, yeah. with, with right. his uh, screwdriver. Yeah, and- but like, I think it kills her. Oh, it does? Okay. I, I yeah. guess I just interpreted that I, I hit you with enough power that now you can't regenerate. But right. I don't know. Who knows? Well, yeah. So, you know, you know, do we actually think that this is the end of the master? Obviously not. There's no way. You know, sure. Right. 
he she will be back in in some form or another but uh you know certainly with you know when he wherever he is at the end and he runs into which is the original doctor right the first one uh, well a guy playing right well yeah yeah obviously yeah, yeah, right? yeah. i mean that's he's supposed to be with the hat and everything right so, william um, hartnell right so that should you approve for a promising uh, Christmas episode there. But. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now that my wife is totally immersed in Doctor Who, we have to wait till Christmas. I'm like, right? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're lucky you're getting that one because yeah. after that, who knows? Right. I, I believe we waited a full year for Series Ten. Yeah. Well, it was like you had a Christmas episode, then a whole year Christmas, right? Yeah. And then and then this. Uh, this so. season so you know one thing being a doctor who fan teaches you is patience but yeah, you think it, now that that you got a showrunner who's just doing this show that maybe we'll, we'll see you know an actual season every year like well and that's what i was be. thinking chris chibnall's got to be chomping at the bit to get going exactly you know he's got like a million ideas he's probably already got scripts written and stuff so right so as long as the bbc is behind him financially he can get going if he hasn't already but you know and and the last thing we really haven't heard anything about who the next doctor is going to be which is brilliant i hope they can keep it under wraps they never seem to be able to no whether that's their choice whether they oh we didn't mean for it to get out oh yeah you probably did but yeah i think there you know there's just no way you're gonna start filming and not have people figure out who the new doctor is, right? Sure, and, right. And, uh, you know, it's like kind of like when um, Jon Snow died on Game of Thrones at, at the end of the one season, you know, people took pictures of Kit Harington in costume. And then, so it's like, well, I guess Jon's not really dead as he's currently filming for Game of Thrones. So, you know, I just, BBC, I realize they, they have to own it. They can't uh, keep it, you know, they can't, Keep it a secret, so you might as well just make an event of it and just announce who the the new guy or gal is going to be. Yeah, and I guess on the one hand, it gives fans a chance to adjust to whoever the new doctor and perhaps new companion. At least that's the way it's looking. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't think we're going to see Bill uh, again. Well, I mean, we might see her again, like, you know, as in, you know, how back in the Russell T. Davies days, old companions seem to come popping back up here and there but uh i definitely think we're gonna get you know obviously a new companion as well as a new doctor here so so all right well i guess that'll close it for doctor who for this week and and we (laughs) will move on to dollhouse yes now we can move on to dollhouse episode six of season one entitled man on the street and this one was written by joss whedon Directed by David Strayton, who, when I looked him up, he, he's directed four episodes of Fringe, two of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., six of Hemlock Grove. You watched all of those, right? Uh, yeah, I liked Hemlock Grove a lot, yeah. Uh, yeah, four of Grimm, four of my new show, Blood Drive. Oh, I love Blood Drive. Oh, you've really? been watching it? Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I thought if Dave is actually recommending a show like this, I got to watch it. Unfortunately, the ratings are dropping like the proverbial Led Zeppelin. Oh, yeah. So it started out strong, and it basically cuts itself in half each week, which metaphorically, I guess, is sort of apropos in the show. (laughs) 
and and then David Strayton also directed episode four of season one of Marvel's Inhumans, which obviously has not aired yet. So, you know, he's he gets around, and this one aired originally March twentieth, two thousand and nine. So, right off the bat, what'd you think about this one? Uh, I like this one a lot. Um, I missed at the beginning when they showed who wrote it, but I noticed as as the show progressed that you know the dialogue was pretty good. So I'm, I was wondering, I was like, I wonder if Joss Whedon wrote this one because um, you know it was noticeable the uh, <clears throat> the improvement in, in dialogue and and just uh, pacing of the of the show. Uh, obviously, Patton Oswalt. You know, pretty much everything he's in is gold, so it's great to see him. And uh, I think the show did a lot in, well, in you know, not just moving the story forward, but kind of complicating the story as well. And we see that there's, you know, much, the, the dollhouse has its fingers basically everywhere. So Yeah, and, and I think to be fair, I, I did read something that Joss said a, about this episode in particular and where it falls in the season arc is, is that prior to this, we just had a bunch of standalones. You wonder whether he's kind of recognizing that in retrospect, if that was the plan, because I don't know, you know, that doesn't seem like the way I would do it. You know what I mean? That that I think I would have moved some of this a little farther to the beginning of the mm-hmm. season that said i i love this episode we've got half a season to go as you said it, it pushes the story really far down the road it throws a lot of questions out there and i guess number one for me is that it, it kind of examines the value of the dollhouse as well as the damage that it can cause is it a cautionary tale i i, I think it's that first cautionary tale look that we get in the series and obviously that's going to be huge once we get to the end of the season yeah there's a lot of things here that i'm not really gonna you know insinuate but there is certainly a lot of things that considering where the series goes you see the the beginnings and actually i've actually been noticing that in the previous uh, five episodes as well that there's little things that they're throwing out there that clearly just we knew where he was going with this and uh you know he had to go there a lot sooner than he he wanted to um, i think probably the general plan was if you know the show was a success that they would have more of the standalones and they wouldn't have to go to the ultimate you know the 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 story they went to uh as early as they they did have to go to it but you certainly see the seeds for what is to come in early on. Right. And when we get to episode 13, I'm sure you know a little bit of the background and, and the history of, of how that episode came to be. And, you know, and, and we'll, you know, not go any uh, further than that. But again, it plays into that whole idea of um, what the dollhouse could lead to and more to the point, what technology can lead to, because you, you can often take a story like this where, where we're focusing on the technology. And, and in this episode, one of the actual uh, interviewees brings that up and, and we'll kind of take a look at that in some detail later on. But as you said, when, when you really go back and watch these episodes, you know, Joss is dropping little 
you know, hints here that that this is a cautionary tale. Now, mm-hmm. what did you think about the use of, and I, I looked this term up because it, I, I knew there was a term for a TV show or, or a film using this man on the street interview technique. And, and the one thing that did come up, and I have heard it before, Vox Pop, which is, you know, Latin for Vox Populi, voice of the people. But the use of those sound bites to really to present the various ways that the man on the street, uh-huh. whether or you know whether or not the dollhouse actually exists, how it actually operates, how the entire concept is perceived from a moral ethical perspective. I mean, I thought it was really superb storytelling device. Yeah, yeah, it works really well here, and what it gives us at first, because like the first people that they interview basically. No, they they nail it. They know exactly what the dollhouse is, and and they they have it down, you know exactly. So, you know, one of the first questions that comes to my mind is if this is something like like if you just can just grab a guy off the street and he knows exactly the reality of what the dollhouse is and the truth of it, why is the FBI giving Ballard such a hard time? Exactly because. It, it, if the dollhouse appears to be more than an urban legend in the minds of the average person, as you said, why are they treating him as a pariah for wanting to continue his investigation? But I think maybe it goes back to what you said at the top of the show or the top of this discussion is that the dollhouse has its hands in everything. Right. And and that's the only thing that really makes sense. Exactly. That's exactly right. That, that's, and there, there's the answer to that question is probably that we know how super influential a dollhouse is. And clearly, um, you know, they, they've, they're in the FBI as well. And they say as much later that, that they are in cities all over the world and they are, you know, influence all up and down the government. So. Yeah. Well, the other thing I liked about the way they presented these man on the street interviews is that, that as you said, Virtually all of them had a fair amount of correct knowledge of what the dollhouse is and what it does, but the first few seem to be more superficial in their approach to it as opposed to the the last guy that that I've actually got his exact words that we can kind of talk a little bit about at the end where he gets really, I think, to the core of what the issue is is here you know we see that the average person sees this concept in different lights that they recognize it's not black and white can we view what the dollhouse offers clients in a positive light and i think that's one of the things that it wants us to look into here through Patton oswald's character because at the end of the day it is human trafficking there's mm-hmm. no other way to view it right True, but that last scene with, uh, you know, what, what's his name, uh, you know, Minor, uh, Joel Minor, and his quote unquote wife, it's like kind of like a nice, sweet scene, you know, like not to say that the only thing he wanted was to show her the house because he admits to Ballard that he sleeps with the doll as well, but uh, you know, he's just reliving this. You know, trying to get this memory that was tragically denied him. Yeah. Right. I mean, he's just seeking closure. 
So if we, but, but he's not that, getting it though. You know, like he's he does this every year, right? Well, you wonder though whether eventually enough will be enough. Yeah, true. And when you extend it out, the dollhouse performing that function for parents, children, spouses that suffer a loss, if this can enable them to get closure, who's to say that's wrong? Or is he not moving on? Like that's part of loss is you you have to come to terms with the loss and understand that the person is gone. Right. right. And otherwise, you're Miss Havisham, right? Right. City, or not the, you know, who's it? Mag, Magwitch was dead. But, you know, like if you, if you don't accept what's happened, then you, 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 be, you're in a rut. And this guy is, he has not moved on. He's trying, he's reliving this day. To, and it was a terrible, horrible, tragic thing that happened to him. But, you know, reliving this moment is not bringing his wife back and it's not getting him closure because he's doing it every year. So while well, on the one hand it is the, yeah, kind of sweet, but on the other hand is, you know, like he's, he's not moving on. He's not dealing with the, the loss. And that's exactly right. And I guess that would be an argument for the negative aspect of the dollhouse that you're doing something that you're purporting to be a positive when in fact it's a negative. Right. So, yeah. all right. Quick quiz question. Okay. Which, which genre all-star probably hall of fame actress played Miss Havisham? All-star genre. Yeah. I, I uh, all right. Hall of fame. Um, yeah, I don't know. Jillian Anderson. Really? Yeah. In like a film? Right. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I think it was a mini series, a BBC mini series. Okay. Like a four four part. So, really? Right. I know she yeah. likes to pretend she's British a lot. So, so I know. <laughs> <laughs> if I, um, I think now that I think about, it, I think I must have seen an an interview with her because when she was doing that, because she was being interviewed, she was speaking with a British accent. I was like, I didn't realize she was British. I went and looked, and like, oh. She's not. Why is she speaking with a British accent? Yeah. So. <laughs> no. All right. Now, the other thing, this is the first episode in which an engagement doesn't play a significant role. I mean, you've got the Joel Meyer right. engagement kind of going on in the background. Yeah. It's a framing device. Right. And a number of details heretofore unknown are revealed about the dollhouse through the, you know, the, the way that, that Joss put this episode together. So the question of the dollhouse's purpose is raised implicitly implying that it's more than simply a profit based business. And I brought that up last time. So at this point, is this DeWitt using Ballard to discover information that she can't find out for herself or could find out, but doesn't want to be connected to a search. See where I'm going with that? No. You know, it, I mean, she's using Ballard, right? I don't think she's using. Like, do you think she, like she's the one to put the message in in Echo? Like, is that what you're saying? Well, I, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's the idea that it could be Alpha at. at some yeah. point well we don't but, know who who put that because and and, and i guess we, i don't know if we'll talk about it now or later but you know i mean the, like topher leaves that cartridge 
unsecured for quite some time, right? Like they make sure. a point of him uploading a new brain and then he walks away from it and then he comes back. I can't remember something happened with, oh, because of the, he was talking to Harry in between. Right. Not Harry. That's the actor's name. Boyd. <laughs> so anyway, they, they made a point of, of like, basically there was a time when that, cartridge was not secured and someone could have come in and made some change which obviously they did but we don't know who it's just someone on the inside um i, I think that that the dewitt is manipulating uh ballard obviously but i don't think she's using him he's just you know he's gotten too close so they had to come up with a scenario in which um and it could be very well be dewitt that put that message in there because Again, this whole idea, oh, there's someone on the inside, you need to just chill out. Well, that's the only thing that really gets him to back off, right? Right. Well, if not DeWitt, then who? Yeah. So, I mean, certainly worth watching. And as you said, she's clearly manipulating him, but to to what end? Now, you mentioned the fact that we learned there are 20 other dollhouses spread across the world each of which has political influence, economic influence, uh, has their hand in virtually everything in, in whichever city they're in, which is pretty frightening when you think about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, like, so. yeah, when we think that this was just a, you know, we've got, assumed up to this point that this was just, and actually, do we even know it was Los Angeles before now? Yeah, we did. Yeah, okay. because uh, Topher, I'm sorry, uh, Ballard right, right, tells right, right, right. Now, Victor right, right, or right, Lupoff. Right, right. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. So, yeah, I was wondering that, and then you're absolutely right. Yes, we did know it was LA. So, um, yeah, before we just thought it was just this kind of local thing, but now it's like, well, wait, it is... It's even bigger than what we had thought it was before, which is, yeah, as you said, scary. Perhaps the biggest reveal has to be Melly as a sleeper active. Yeah, wow. And to go along with that, they've been watching Ballard for some time. And then it raises the question for me, if there's one sleeper active, yeah. are there more? And Yeah, there I mean, Melly doesn't know she's, you know, a doll. Right. So, you know, it could be anyone. You could pick out any single person in the whole episode in, in, that we've met so far, and it's potentially, you know, they're, they're inactive. Yeah, and it takes me back. I can't help it to Battlestar Galactica with the sleeper Cylons. Right. And – for them, when the realization as to who and what they actually are, and then to have to come to terms with that because they saw themselves as human was was really riveting. And, and again, obviously, it's a different situation here because these people theoretically will return to their original selves, or will they? Right. Well, and, and that's actually what I started thinking about here because Hearn is, you know, eager to put Victor up in the closet. I'm like, well, so all these guys wanted to put people in the closet, uh, or the, I'm sorry, the attic, not the closet. And then I think, well, well, wait, 
I mean, the attic certainly sounds like a place uh, where you, you go to be disposed of. And I'm like, well, why don't they just put the people's brains back into them and send them off in the world? You know, it's like, what's what's this attic stuff? You know, yeah. like, the, like I, these people have a, a contract that that they're like two after two years, they they're done. I think it's five years. Is it five? Okay. Again, I'm not sure if that's been revealed yet or if that's just something. Sorry if that's a big spoiler, but I'm pretty sure it's five years. No, because they said something in in the first episode. But I guess I would argue, to to go along with what you're saying, and, and it's certainly a valid concept, that the attic gives them that chance that, well, you know what? We we need this, and it's pretty dangerous, so why don't we bring that body out of the attic and put them into that engagement you know just you just never know right. as opposed to just sending somebody on their way but the the other thing that comes up and and this kind of ties into to that idea as they're talking about the Sierra Victor incident Boyd states that they're all broken and it got me to thinking what he means by that because the First thing, and perhaps the most obvious, would be the individuals that have agreed to become dolls, Mm -hmm. that they were all broken in their previous life. Which is the the one lady on the street, the African-American lady, who points out that it's slavery, and then the person says, but they volunteer. She's like... You know, would she say, volunteer, you must be out of your effing mind, you know? Like... Right. So... um, yeah, so so you know, even the people in the street realize that there has to be something wrong with the people who you know who agree to do this. Right. Why would anyone agree to enter the dollhouse? I mean, it has to be an extreme reason. But going back to Boyd's statement that they're all broken, you could also make the argument that in many of the cases that we've seen, the clients are kind of broken as well. Yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we got the one guy who was, you know, crazy, like literally, like you know, and uh, we even see here with uh, you know Joel Miner is, as we said, just trying to relive this one moment every single year. You know, there's, I mean, obviously, when you you go to this thing where you hire someone out to be someone else, you know, there's, you know, that's that's not. That's not normal, I guess. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. emotionally stuck. Yeah. So, so, well, we've talked about the the man on the scene, and, and right away, that's the first thing we see. I, I like the phrase that the reporter uses: "Is the dollhouse Bigfoot for the big city?" And as you alluded early in the discussion, virtually everybody seems to know what the dollhouse is and what it actually does. So how did the rumors begin? First of all, because you, you, it seems as if only the ultra rich can afford it. So who's doing the talking? Right. Yeah. It's a good question. I mean, it, it certainly seems as if DeWitt and Dominic have a pretty tight handle on people that work for them and, and that they are certainly aware of, you know, what repercussions might be, because look, obviously the dollhouse has no problem putting somebody down mm-hmm. if they threaten the dollhouse. Right. 
Yeah. So, which then begs the question: Why Hearn would actually think he could get away with? Yeah. What he did. Uh, yeah. I guess you know he's just grasp. Oh, with what he did, yeah. Um, and that he would think that they would actually let him off, you know, unpunished just by you know, oh, you yeah, go well, kill think- this lady, and and so we're all good. It's like. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think when he's in the chair, he realizes that this might be it for him, and he yeah you know, exhibits a little bit of bravado, which is which is fine. But Dewitt gives him a quote unquote second chance. Now, one of the things that I loved about this episode, and there were many things I loved, is that we got to see a more extended look at Paul Ballard, and obviously he makes significant progress in tracking down Caroline. He does what any good detective does, which is to follow the money, mm-hmm. right? And you you wonder how long he's been doing that. Did that finally just occur to him? Did he get you know a tip? But he sees something of interest in a series of deposits and withdrawals that seemingly links internet billionaire Joel Miner, as you said, played by Patton Oswald, and that's really what gets him going. And uh, from a narrative device. You know, we often talk about the use of narrative devices that kind of realistic, not really. That's super realistic. That's what a good cop would do. Right. Or a, uh, morally shaky lawyer in orphan black would do the same thing. Right. Oh, I'm behind one. Oh, are you up to date? Oh yeah. Sorry. Well, you know, it's, you'll, you'll you'll see. It's no big plot point, but anyway, (laughs) Absolutely, just a solid. And the, and the problem was, and I remember even with the uh, it, the first time I saw this was like, dude, he's gonna totally find Caroline in like the first ten minutes of the episode. Like, shouldn't that happen at the end of the episode? You know, like it's this big moment. He's been trying to find her, and he just walks in, and wait, there she is. She's in the house. He's found her. He totally by following the money. He totally tracked her to right to where she was going to be right and but again the way everything is handled i mean we first see ballard and melly having a meal together discussing the case which leads him to staking out miner's house and, and again we've talked about confidentiality of federal information that <laughs> you would you would see but and i think he even addresses that with her as their talking about it yeah but at the end he well not the end but you know he's like oh let me go get my files so i can show them to you and get your real it's like wait hold on dude like this is still really your neighbor across the street i don't think you should be bringing in your the files of from your investigation to have her have a look at them like what (laughs) i mean I I, i get you know She's very attractive and she's sleeping with you. And, and there is that. So yeah, I'm not judging, buddy, but I'm just saying, you know. Well, it, the other thing is once he goes to Joel Miners and gets into action, how can he possibly think he's going to get away operating in this manner? Right? Yeah. He has no warrant, no subpoena for anything. He takes out several of his security guards as Boyd whisks Echo out of harm's way. But as you said, he sees her. So this is kind of the second time that he's seen her and she's just out of his grasp. Obviously, he's getting closer, 
physically, uh, you know, as well as, uh, you know, in, in terms of information that he's gathering, but everything calms down. And I love these extended scenes where, where the writers really give the situation a chance to unfold. And that conversation between Ballard and Minor, where they're just having a chat man to man, Minor tells him the truth, which I don't know about you, but I was a little surprised yeah. that he he just opened up that quickly. Yeah, Not I was that- like, he's like actually admitting that A, the dollhouse exists, and then B, that he is a client of it. Like he's just he's putting it out there. Right. But I think, again, within the context of who this character is, it's reasonable to assume he feels that he can get away with it that because he eventually does get to the reality of the situation. Oh, my bad. I guess my guy's called 911. Who do you think they're going to believe, yeah. Agent Ballard? So, you know, with that knowledge, but, you know, he reveals his wife is dead, killed, driving to see the house that he bought for her and he was going to surprise her with. And, he, you know, he talks about how she was never really interested in his money and just really a sweet story. And you really understand. And it's hard to fault the guy for doing what he's doing. But again, as you said, it, you got to move on. Right. And, you know, like, again, so there, there's that, that very sweet element to it, which, you know, is undeniable. It's there. And that very emotional, sentimental aspect of that. But then, as I think you point out, you know, the, the reality is, is like this is a human being that he's hiring out who by no choice of her own is being forced to portray his wife and that ultimately he's going to sleep with her as well. So, you know, it's there, there is that very nasty, dark aspect to this you know, as well. So, right. Um, and when, when the, and the question comes up, is this a valid moral reason for a dollhouse engagement? And I think most people would say, no, it's not. Yeah, definitely not. So now, obviously, you know, when we prepare for a podcast, we jot down lines that we think are important. And sometimes a line is just a line, but Joel says to Ballard, the first hurdle in my business is the people who will not accept the change that's already happened. Yeah. And I wonder, are we supposed to apply that to the dollhouse that, you know, it's like weapons, you know, people talk about, uh, you know, the, the nuclear capability that a number of nations have. And the fact that, well, nobody's really used one yet. I mean, obviously the atomic bombs in world war two, but, but when has mankind ever invented a weapon and not used it? Right. So uh, never. This technology of the dollhouse, why would somebody look at it and say, ah, you know what? It's too powerful. We got to get rid of it and not use it. No, it's here. Understand that it's here. Accept that it's here. Change is coming. Right. So yeah, Exactly. The Pandora's box type thing, right? Right, right. Now, I love the scene Ballard goes to Melly's for ice and bandages after his fights <laughs> with Miner's guard. And and again, he tells her in detail what happened. I like the fact that he kisses her 
And she right away tells him, yeah, but you were thinking about Caroline when you kissed me, weren't you? And then, all right, you know what? You're right. Let's just go back to being neighborly. Can I borrow a cup of sugar? I just, I I really like that scene because it, I mean, given what we know about her being a sleeper agent, we assume she's been programmed to have a crush on Ballard. That's all, you know, part of her imprint, I would think. So I I just love the way that transpired. And, And obviously that doesn't last long because I think we next see them in bed after sex. Right. At which point she says she was thinking of Caroline. Yeah. And then he asks for her help. And again, was this the part where you dress me up and use me as bait? Because that never ends well. <laughs> Might be my favorite line in, yeah. in the episode. That's going to be, we see like this, you know, before we were saying that Ballard was like, what's your deal? This, you know, you got this beautiful woman and she's, bringing food to your office and everything like and then it goes from him like barely noticing she's there to like half an episode and they're in bed together right now you know the the next scene that's relevant to what's going on with ballard is that you know the the scene you've already mentioned where dewitt tells topher to prep echo for a second date and for me the first thing i think about is a second date with joel minor but that's of course not what she meant and we see topher building a his words gorgeous but deadly imprint when boyd comes in and tells him he's been sidelined for the next engagement and obviously this is the imprint for when echo goes to meet ballard right who did the sideline do you think do you think that was dewitt or do you think that was dominic or both working in sync. Well, from what uh, Topher says, it seems like that's like kind of company policy that, you know, um, though he could have been like goofing around, but, you know, it just, it, it, and it would make sense that after a, you know, something like what happened with Boyd uncovering Hearn, that there would be like uh, when police, like, you know, kind of put, uh, an officer who's involved in the shooting, you know, they don't put him back out on the street the next day. Yeah, good, uh, true, good point. I don't, well, I don't know, but but no, you're no, right, no. It, and it's significant because if he's there, is is Echo able to deliver the message that she was able to deliver? Right. You mean because Boyd would hear what the message? Right. Okay. Or and or, you know. That, you know, they had that extended fight with Ballard. You know, does he step in and end the fight? Right, because there's nobody that has Echo's interests at heart like Boyd. Right. And I think you're probably right. It's just that that they knew going in the message she was going to deliver, they didn't want Boyd to hear. Yeah. So, well, as it turns out, Ballard inadvertently does put Melly in danger. You know, he goes to get the Chinese food, and that's when Caroline or Echo is waiting for him. And, and we, of course, learned that that's the imprint Topher was working on. You know, one of the things, I guess, if I had to nitpick this episode, and, and again, when we go back and look at these shows from the past, and this is 2009, which, you know, is only eight years, but the way technology improves in all of that time, and certainly the budget that Joss had to work with at the time, what struck me was the, the fight scene. Mm-hmm. Because it 
was certainly not as realistic. I mean, I think a lot of people would just not even notice, I think, things that we notice because we're podcasting the episode and we're really, you know, looking at it multiple times and things like that. By 2017 standards, it wasn't all that realistic. But regardless, she kicks his ass, tells him the dollhouse is real, but that they know he's on to them. Yeah. And well, that they okay. plan to have him taken little, off the case. Yeah. yeah. So, so let me just say about the fight scene, because I, I actually kind of liked it. Uh, but there is that element where at first you're like, he is so much bigger and stronger than her and he's just getting smoked in this fight you know it's just like i mean granted i get you that she's got serious ninja skills and everything but you know he we we just saw him beat the crap out of all of you know joel miner's security guys but now like someone the size of a of eliza dushku is gonna dushku is gonna bring him down it's like mm, it was an okay fight scene for what it was well, for, right, right, right. As I say, if that's the only thing I can really nitpick, then that's okay. Now, you know, at this point, we assume that this is part of a larger plan to continue manipulating Ballard, which it, it of course, is. And then, you, you, you know, you mentioned about having a person on the inside. And then she starts this statement that this person corrupted the imprint while the programmer wasn't looking, added this parameter. And I'm thinking like, all right, now, who's she talking about, or is this all simply made up to seem legitimate? Because it goes back to, as you said, Topher leaves the room and leaves the disc susceptible to somebody coming in to change it. But who would have the skills other than Alpha? Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. We, we, that, and that's the thing about the mole. Like, you don't know who it is, right? Right. So did Alpha just waltz in? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think so. But it, you know, but it literally could have been anyone. Uh, it could have been Topher's assistant. It could have been DeWitt. It could have been Boyd. He was right there. It could have been Dominic. It, you know, like yeah. th- that's the thing. He the the cartridge was unsecured for a while, so pretty much anyone uh could have, you know, could have gone in there and changed it or as you said is that just something that they threw in there to you know kind of as throwing ballard a bone there's someone on the inside relax go home and chill and you'll hear from me later you know like well now that they can totally manipulate him however they want right If, if if they arrange that to set up this person on the inside then they can just once again, send Ballard wherever they want on the information that this quote unquote person, the inside will, would give to him. Right. And, you know, she tells him to find out the dollhouse's purpose, but let them win that they don't want you dead. And, and, and the wheels start turning for him. And I think he realizes that Melly may in fact be at risk, which of course she is. But the other thing is we learned fairly early on that Dominic and DeWitt have a video feed inside. That was Melly's apartment, right? Uh, in- I think they were in his apartment. Okay, but yeah, either way, they. I mean, we we would imagine they'd have them both surveilled anyway, right? Sure, because she's a sleeper active, right. so why why wouldn't they? But while they're watching, they acknowledge that they just had a federal agent interrupt an engagement. 
and he implies that she might be in trouble with her superiors. And and again, you you've driven home that point about Mr. Dominic, that dude, you need to back off criticizing your boss, right? And you know she you know acknowledges it, but again, now uh, the now disgraced Hearn, and we'll talk about that because that's really the other storyline, you know, mm-hmm. Sierra's sexual abuse at the hands of Hearn in a minute. But he's at Melly's hoping to uh, gain some moment of redemption in terms of uh, his ability to not only stay at the dollhouse, but stay alive. Yeah. You wonder why he just doesn't shoot her. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's got to have a silencer. Sure. Yeah. And he's been sent now. In retrospect, I guess DeWitt and Dominic know that Melly's going to kick his ass. Well, they, he, I, I think he was sent there to be killed, right? Not not to kill. Okay, um, but then why not just kill him at the dollhouse or take him to the attic? Why leave his body exposed and, unless there's going to be a cleanup crew that comes in and takes it? But, but And, of course, there isn't because – Ballard returns and and finds him dead there, right? And so, so was that the? I, I kind of missed when they were taking his badge away at the end. Was was that one of the things that they cited? Is because I know they talked about the cop that that actually Echo killed, but um, is being put on the Ballard. So I, I don't know if they mentioned anything about like you know this dead guy in his neighbor's apartment as well but it's certainly you know just more pressure on ballard i guess you know like he comes back and oh here's the girl i just started sleeping with and look hey she's killed a guy how about that you know right and and the the great thing is that now that he's been suspended again from a narrative storytelling approach how is he going to stay on this case since he doesn't have access to you know all this fbi stuff so so that's certainly something that's cool but you know in a nod to i believe it was the manchurian candidate that that used this right she's in there phone rings machine picks up there are three flowers in a vase the first flower is green and then suddenly melly goes into ninja mode and kills Hearn. right gets the second command and Melly returns to you know her normal meek self, which is what Ballard finds when when he returns, and just brilliant. You love it, yeah. That, um, and I, you know, I remember the first time I, I saw this, like how incredibly shocking that was, because like my brain hadn't even gotten there thinking that, you know anyone could be you know because she was just so nice and sweet so you know you would just there there was no suspicions of her at all you know she just seems like a really nice well i guess you know a more astute viewer would say well dude like that she was like a little too nice you know she's bringing him you know manicotti to his office so there's just like a little bit too much that maybe but uh you know just to to go from that 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 kind gentle person to a killing machine just at the drop of a hat like that and then you know and then she gets turned back and she's horrified by what what's in front of her you know and and she must be so confused and, and 
you know, that um, it's just a really kind of shocking scene all in all. Well, especially when we look at the bigger picture. I mean, we understand that these imprints that they've been given control their actions during you know the engagement that they've been placed on. But here we realize that in addition, that there's some built-in conditioning to accept these oral commands as well, which again, those of you that have watched the show know that becomes huge as we move forward, particularly at the end yeah, of the- Yeah, David. No, no, no. We, we said, we're, I'm just saying it becomes a big deal. Right. I'm not saying what it is, but you know, I think we have to acknowledge that the majority of our listeners, yeah. this is a rewatch. Right. So we'll, we'll, well, but and Alpha did already kind of do that remote. You know, well, we had the remote wipe back a couple episodes ago, right? Yeah. The other story that's equally important, even though the the amount of time spent on it wasn't as great, and that's serious sexual abuse at the hands of Hearn, because it addresses the absolute dark side of the dollhouse. And I wonder how could Dewitt and others like her not see this scenario coming you know i mean yeah is it worse or just as bad as when they send a doll out on a sexual engagement i mean i guess you could argue it's worse because that's not what they signed up for but they don't know what they signed up for yeah and Hearn tries to make the case that there's no difference right yes and, and you know his behavior like his creepy behavior is just kind of indicates the exact opposite obviously but right and and you know where where we see this begin victor notices sierra eating alone and he and echo walk over but when she sees victor she starts screaming which you know brings dr saunders into the equation and sierra tells saunders that victor pretends they're married and the obvious conclusion is that they're having sex but but how are they wily enough to do it undetected? Well, I don't think so, but that was a little, you know, where did that come from? Because I had to go back and, and watch it again just to make sure that she wasn't talking about Hearn wanting to pretend that they're married. But she says it right. was Victor. Yes, she does say Victor. And then, of course, I, of course, no, the fear ahead. is that Victor is Jekyll hiding like Alpha, so obviously he's going to be under a lot more scrutiny. And, um, but, you know, Boyd doesn't buy it at all, right? He knows that very unlikely that Victor is finding some way to to prey on Sierra. And so he, you know, finds the, you know, that there's blind spots in the security cameras. Right, and, and he realizes that someone like who you know Victor doesn't know about even security cameras or blind spots, so he wouldn't be able to find those. But you know, the handler obviously would. Right, and you know, even though he flushes out Hearn as the culprit, and Dewitt gives him a bonus, she's still pretty angry for going about it this way. And I guess, I, I mean, I get that on the one hand because this is about as serious an issue as the dollhouse can have internally, but would she have rather Mr. Dominic handled it? I mean, I think she understands that Dominic's draconian approach to a lot of things 
isn't necessarily in the best interest at the dollhouse. So uh, regardless, I mean, we learned that the dolls don't have sex drives, which I don't think comes as a surprise to anybody. But while they're talking, Echo walks in and tells them that Sierra cries in her sleep, which doesn't seem like much, but it does seem to indicate an awareness of her surroundings implies that she understands it's not good that Sierra does this. I don't know. Again, we've certainly talked about Echo becoming more aware, self-aware, if you will. But, you know, again, I think those are important details. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and also her, you know, conversation with DeWitt at the end where she's saying, um, you know, she's, you know, obsessively talking about the picture she's drawing when she says it isn't finished and DeWitt's like the picture and she says it isn't finished and DeWitt's like would you like it to be finished uh, you know like it, it, we kind of get that both of them are talking about something beyond just the picture and if you know Echo is in her doll state she really shouldn't be talking about like she you know like there there shouldn't be implications beyond just like you know the superficial right yeah Right. But we we kind of get a feeling like she's like like the thing that isn't finished is not necessarily the picture she's talking about, right? And that goes back to the subject of the picture, which is a man and woman standing in front of a house, right? Who are the man and woman? I mean, I I think we right. could certainly assume that she's the woman, but not necessarily. Yeah. Or is she retaining that part of her engagement with Joel Minor? Yeah. Right? So, so, but just one thing I want to say, going back to Hearn, because, um, you know, this guy is a, a, a predator, right? And, and, um, we absolutely feel no pity at all for him when he's killed and, and feel like he's gotten, he was justly punished. Um, because, you know, the language he uses and everything, like, it's, it's like a, it's like a child, like a child molester, right? Like you have to be quiet, you know, and everything, and just do you trust me? I mean, someone who we we talked about the that that bond of trust that they imprint on on the uh, on the dolls. The first thing they do is they are imprinted with their handler and to trust their handler explicitly. Like I said, just like a a, a child molester is not just betraying that trust, but abusing that trust and, and abusing, which is essentially like they, as when they're in their doll state, they are like children. Right. And, and then trying to justify his behavior. Yeah. Which is absolutely disgusting. Right. No, I, I agree. And then once all of this is kind of come to a head, DeWitt tells Dominic to call the other houses to warn against what happened and Dominic, again, I'm surprised he asks her to rethink that decision because it's going to make her look bad because it sure sounds as if that would be something that would make him happy for her to look bad. Right, right. So because before this, it could be argued everything was a business decision. Now we see her looking at it from a moral perspective which I think is a big, a big step and, and, you know, something, again, we have to keep an eye on. Sure. So, all right, well, we get to the epilogue 
Victor and Sierra are now calm. They're looking at a book while DeWitt's talking to Echo, who's painting that picture we were talking about for a minute ago. Then the very last thing, you know, we, we, we do learn that Joel gets his engagement after all. And I love the way they did that, which just, we just see it for, you know, a few seconds, but you know, he gets what he paid for, which I don't, you know, what do we make of that? I mean, yeah, I don't know. Well, because as, as you know, as we said, it's, there's that, that very sweet side to it. And there's the very dark side to it, right? The, what we see is the nice side of it. He is just really want his wife who was killed on her way to coming to see this house, which for him was a, a symbol of everything like, you know, his wife sticking by him and everything through difficult times. And now he's finally made it. Now he's finally able to, you know, kind of give back to her. And she dies on the way. And, and, and that never happens for him. So he's never able to have that moment that, you know, you, you go from this where you have something that's going to be such an incredible moment. And you're, you know, it's kind of like, you, you've seen Goodfellas, right? Oh, yeah. So it's like that scene where they bring Joe Pesci in and he's about to get made, right? And and all his friends are so excited for him and this is it and this is like this great moment and then he gets killed and it's just the opposite, right? It just turns into this terrible, horrible thing. Um, so, so he's able to kind of finally, you know, live out that moment and see her face when she sees the house but A, it's not real, and B, he's going to go then have sex with her, and it's not your wife you're having sex with, dude. Sorry, it's it's not, you know? And so there, there is a dark side to it. And he, he's a very funny character, and there's a lot of humanity put into that Joel Minor character, but ultimately, he's, he's little better than Hearn, I think ultimately right in my yeah no, no i agree with you i mean little better i mean he is but not much right she still has because even though despite not being her doll state the the person there still has the same free will that sierra has in her doll state which is none right and, and no understanding of what's happening right so all right well I just want to get to the statements that the last man on the street make because they're really significant. They're they're really foreshadow where this show is headed. And you know, I'm sorry if you think that's a spoiler, but you know, anyway. So the it's guy, a little bit, but the guy says, and, and in a sense, I, because when I printed it out, when I, when I'm looking for a long passage like this there there are several places that you can find the scripts for tv shows so i i generally will go there and then just copy and paste and it's funny because it copy and pasted i mean it looks like a poem dude so i feel like we're picking apart a poem here but here's here's okay. what he said it's kind of what we do forget morality imagine it's true imagine this technology being used now Imagine it's being used on you. So, you know, the first four lines, and that's just the first four lines of like 16. So, so. So you're saying it's a sonnet? No. 
<laughs> uh, That's the first quatrain. <laughs> what he's asking people to do is, you know, really look at what this is and imagine it's you, you know, and, and again, that's, that's something that we ask, you ask a child, you know, would you want somebody to say that to you or, or I mean, to an adult as well, but, but you know what I'm saying? Then he goes on, everything you believe gone, everyone you love, strangers, maybe enemies, every part of you that makes you more than a walking cluster of neurons dissolved at someone else's whim. Okay, so imagine it's being used on you. Imagine basically the reality you know gone. And here's where it gets not so much tricky, but really relevant. If that technology exists, it'll be used. It'll be abused. It'll be global. And we will be over. Mm -hmm. Well, we know it's global. Is it being abused? I think. You know, you would certainly yeah. argue yes, and and I agree with you. And then the last three lines: as a species, we will cease to matter. I don't know. Maybe we should. And I assume he means maybe we should be over as a species yeah. because if we're doing this, if we think this is okay, then it's probably not a good idea that we're here just really powerful and 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 i think it's easy to miss when you just hear it when you see the words on paper it's downright chilling yeah i thought it was pretty chilling when he said it though you know well, and and his, but, his delivery was so powerful as well mm-hmm. you know un, unlike the first interviewees that we saw where you know they were making valid points but you know it was almost uh, there was a lack of understanding, I think, of the big picture that this guy really nails with this this uh, speech there at the end. Yeah, absolutely. So, anything else before we uh, tell what our grades I are? Think we pretty much got it. Okay. Well, I don't know. I mean, if I'm, if an A plus exists, I don't know what else an episode could do. To deserve one, I know you. You don't give A pluses. I know you. You always say I'm an easy grader. I, you know, maybe I am, but I, I'm going A plus yeah. on this one. Okay, well, I I don't give A pluses to shows not called Firefly, so um, I will give this a, a solid A though. Okay. It was a very good episode. Yeah. So, and a, as you said at the beginning, it just pushes the story arc so far down the road. I mean, not too far. It's it's not as if we we've got to run and catch up, but it just really I mean I I almost wanted to watch the next episode right then and there, but mm-hmm. again I, I I don't like doing that until we've talked about the one is going to next air on the podcast. So uh, all yeah. right, well anything else? I think that's about all it. All right. Well, I'll tell you, you know it's a, it's amazing what a great episode because obviously. This is uh, one of our longer podcasts, but there was just so much good stuff to talk about. So, yeah, yeah, so much going on there. Yep. You know, hopefully, moving forward, they'll all be this good. So, all right. Well, we want to thank you for joining us tonight. Love to hear from you about, you know, your thoughts on Dollhouse, anything else that's going on in genre television. 
Encourage you to join the Facebook group, share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community. If you're already a member, spread the word. Emails can go to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com or voicemails via the SpeakPipe tab, which you can access through the website. And we'll be back next week to talk about Dollhouse Episode 7 of Season 1 titled Echoes. But until then, porn!